The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith Narrated by Flo Gibson in the studios of Audiobook Contractors Incorporated Copyright 2000 Chapter 1 A description of the family of Wakefield, in which a kindred likeness prevails, as well of minds as of persons. I was ever of opinion that the honest man who married and brought up a large family did more service than he who continued single and only talked of population. From this motive, I'd scarce taken orders a year before I began to think seriously of matrimony, and chose my wife as she did her wedding gown, not for a fine glossy surface, but such qualities as would wear well. To do her justice, she was a good-natured notable woman, and as for breeding, there were few country ladies who could show more. She could read any English book without much spelling, but for pickling, preserving, and cookery, none could excel her. She prided herself also upon being an excellent contriver in housekeeping, though I could never find that we grew richer with all her contrivances. However, we loved each other tenderly, and our fondness increased as we grew old. There was, in fact, nothing that could make us angry with the world or each other. We had an elegant house situated in a fine country and a good neighborhood. The year was spent in a moral or rural amusement, in visiting our rich neighbors and relieving such as were poor. We had no revolutions to fear nor fatigues to undergo. All our adventures were by the far side, and all our migrations from the blue bed to the brown. As we lived near the road, we often had the traveler or stranger visit us to taste our gooseberry wine, for which we had great reputation, and I profess, with the veracity of an historian, that I never knew one of them find fault with it. Our cousins, too, even to the fortieth remove, all remembered their affinity, without any help from the herald's office, and came very frequently to see us. Some of them did us no great honor by these claims of kindred, as we had the blind, the maimed, and the halt among the number. However, my wife always insisted that, as they were the same flesh and blood, they should sit with us at the same table, so that if we had not very rich, we had generally had very happy friends about us. But this remark will hold good through life, that the poorer the guest, the better pleased he ever is with being treated and as some men gaze with admiration at the colors of a tulip or the wing of a butterfly, so I was by nature an admirer of happy human faces. However, when any one of our relations was found to be a person of very bad character, a troublesome guest, or one we desired to get rid of, upon his leaving my house, I ever took care to lend him a riding coat or a pair of boots, or sometimes a horse of small value, and I always had the satisfaction of finding he never came back to return them. By this the house was cleared of such as we did not like. But never was the family of Wakefield known to turn the traveller or the poor dependent out of doors. Thus we lived several years in a state of much happiness, not but that we sometimes had those little rubs which Providence sends to enhance the value of its favours. My orchard was often robbed by schoolboys, and my wife's custards plundered by the cats of the children. The squire would sometimes fall asleep in the most pathetic parts of my sermon or his lady returned my wife's civilities at church with a mutilated curtsy. But we soon got over the uneasiness caused by such accidents, and usually in three or four days began to wonder how they vexed us. My children, the offspring of temperance, as they were educated without softness, so they were at once well-formed and healthy, my sons hardy and active, my daughters beautiful and blooming. When I stood in the midst of the little circle, which promised to be the supports of my declining age, I could not avoid repeating the famous story of Count Abensberg, who in Henry II's progress through Germany, while other courtiers came with their treasures, brought his thirty-two children, 
and presented them to his sovereign as the most valuable offering he had to bestow. In this manner, though I had but six, I considered them as a very valuable present made to my country, and consequently looked upon it as my debtor. Our eldest son was named George, after his uncle, who left us ten thousand pounds. Our second child, a girl, I intended to call after her Aunt Grizzle. But my wife, who during her pregnancy had been reading romances, insisted on her being called Olivia. In less than another year we had another daughter, and now I was determined that Grizzle should be her name. But a rich relation, taking a fancy to stand godmother, the girl was by her directions called Sophia, so that we had two romantic names in the family. But I solemnly protest I had no hand in it. Moses was our next, and after an interval of twelve years we had two sons more. It would be fruitless to deny exultation when I saw my little ones about me. The vanity and the satisfaction of my wife.